It is such a thrill to be able to uh, be here to watch Dr. Brown in action. Um, once in a while I try to give a presentation like that, not the way she gives it. Today is going to be a little bit different. I guess we make a very good uh, one-two punch here. Um, I'm going to actually speak very much from the heart about an idea that I've been developing this year that I think really speaks to the heart of what we experience on Tuesday and Wednesday and to try to explain that experience from a Hashkafic perspective. We're going to go far afield. I ask you to try to stay with me. And I can't promise that what I'm telling you is even correct. But it's very powerful, very moving, and I know that it's going to change my Yom Kippur this year and forward, and I hope that it will change yours as well. Bishus Avimori sitting in the back. Bishus, my wife, who's here on the phone, not able to be here in person now. Yom Kippurim seems like the most special day of the year. It's everything. And those of you who can still change your plans, don't tell your shul rabbis I told you this, What's going to happen in the YU base Medrash on Tuesday night and Wednesday? It's utter pandemonium. There's a new hotel. We have Shabbos locks. You could go on to 181st and stay here and still sign up. It is a moment like none other. My favorite day of the entire year. And Ne'ila, my favorite moment. What happens here? You mamish think Mashiach's going to walk in. At some point during the Elah, as 750 people are screaming at the top of their lungs, you figure he's got to hear us and show up. But the reality is that if we think about it, not the way we experience Yom Kippur, but the way that we think of Yom Kippur, it's really just a consolation tournament. You know what that is? When I was younger, much younger, an elementary school student, I was a mean tennis player. Yes, I was a mean tennis player. My father can to that. Instead of going to day camp in the summer, I went to tennis clinics. I knew I had no future. Also, if you watched me play, you knew I had no future. But I was good enough to play, actually, in a couple of small tournaments. I'm not talking about U.S. Open stuff. Talking about the stuff that would happen in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Uh, little things, you know, whatever it would be. But I was a mean tennis player. Not mean enough and good enough to actually win, but good enough after losing to make it to the cons consolation round. The consolation round is what happens when you lose immediately to someone who can actually play tennis. There's another bracket, there's a whole system to this, that after you lose, after you are destroyed by someone who can actually play, and given the size that I was at the time, who's like three feet taller than I was, you get to play in another tournament for the losers. And you're supposed to feel good about this. First of all, you don't play only one game. You get to play more than one game. And maybe in this tournament, where everyone can't really play tennis, you can be a winner too. That's what Yom Kippurim is. Don't we say 
and I have some of the sources I'll quote on the page. I try to stick to my rule of having only two sides of a page. There's so many things I'm going to try to bring you. The things you're more familiar with are not on the page. The Gemara tells us that there are three books open on Yom Kippur night and that Sadiqim Gemurim are written immediately into life. And we say to each other, Ksiva v'chasima tova, shana tova tikasei v'sechaseim la'alter. La'alter means right away. We treat each other like the other guy is a tzaddik gamur. And he or she is immediately going into the, into the book of life. It's we who have to play the consolation tournament. We are the Benonim. We don't make it on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the U.S. Open. Rosh Hashanah is the heavenly open. The books are open. But that's not for us. Yes, many Rishonim don't understand this Gemara exactly as it sounds. It doesn't make any sense, right? There are very righteous people who don't make it during the year. But the simple reading of the Gemara and the way that we treat it is that the really righteous people, the people that don't make mistakes, those people are immediately inscribed into the Book of Life. And we are pushed to the consolation round. Yom Kippur where everybody's a winner. Because the stakes are lowered. We have a concept that on Rosh Hashanah, the day God created the world, He is the creator, He is the owner, He destroyed worlds and He built them. That is a day of din. He is a melech. And we try to win on that scale. Din means you get what you deserve. It doesn't mean you're punished. It means you get what exactly what you deserve. For those who deserve to be punished, that's what they get. For those who deserve to be rewarded, we can't afford the truth. We can't afford to be judged according to what we really did. We wouldn't make it. That's the Rosh Hashanah judgment. Baruch Hashem is Yom Kippur. There's the day that remembers the second Luchos, the consolation Luchos, the Yud Gimumidos of Rachamim, God's mercy. We enter into another tournament where everybody's a winner. Because you can't fail if God is so merciful. Another chance to succeed, the Rachamim. The reality is that we already have hints of Rachamim on Rosh Hashanah. We, God hears the shofar, the Rachamim. But on the whole, Yom Kippur is the day that you and I, no, you are a tzaddik, but I, every one of us is supposed to think of ourselves as we're Yom Kippur Jews. We make it in the consolation round. Is that all Yom Kippur is? Is Yom Kippur a consolation round for those of us who can't make it in God's eyes? The reality is, it's not just Yom Kippur. For better or for worse, it's not just Yom Kippur that's a consolation round. This entire world is a consolation round, isn't it? Doesn't Rashi tell us in source number one, Bara Elohim, why in the first chapter of Bereshit does it say the word Elohim? Elohim is the way we describe God when he's a Dayan, when he's a judge, when he's a Melech. 
Hashem only comes later. Why in the first chapter is God called Elohim? We've heard this. God wanted to create a world which was about judgment. For people that are really could do it, people that could really make it on the big stage on center court. We're not going to make it if everything is about din. The first chapter represents what God was thinking. He was thinking, wouldn't it be nice if people were perfect? But then it turns out we're not so perfect. He brought in some rachamim. Oh, a consolation round. The whole world is a consolation round. Why start with din if the purpose is to get to rachamim? Yet there's a very strange comment in the Midrash that restores us to the way we think about this world and we think about Yom Kippur. This Midrash, which Rabbi Rosenzweig, Shlita, my Rebbe, started with his Tshuva Drush on Thursday night. The Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer says in source number two, Ilule Yom HaKippurim, if it weren't for Yom Kippur, Lohaya HaOlam Omeid. The world wouldn't be able to stand. Well, that goes with the consolation round. We couldn't stand if we just had Rosh Hashanah. But if it wasn't for for Yom Kippur, we'd never make it. Never. But then it says something very surprising. And even if all of the other Moadim would go away, this is a comment that sounds very much like what we say about a different Yom Purim Purim. Even if we get to a time in history, it seems to say, that all the other Yom go away, Yom Purim ain't over. Yom Purim is going nowhere. Which doesn't make any sense. Because if the purpose of Yom Kippur is to compensate, to consolate for an imperfect world, then there may come a time where the world is suddenly more perfect, and for some reason we don't even need all these other Yom Tovim, but we'll still need Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the first holiday that should go. Yom Kippur is the one that we won't need anymore. Baruch Hashem, we will have time of Mashiach, everybody will do good things all the time, we'll be, able, we'll be Rosh Hashanah Jews finally. The only Yom Tov that's going to stick around is Yom Kippur. Why? The reason is because despite the fact that Rosh Hashanah in the back of our minds is a consolation round, it doesn't seem that way to us. The consolation round has a lot less fanfare than the actual tournament. Nobody makes a bigger deal and invests more in the consolation tournament than the other. But we know Yom Kippur, the level of Yom Kippur is higher. Yom Kippur has more aliyot than Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur has an Isr Malacha. Yom Kippur has a greater punishment if you violate Yom Kippur. The stakes are higher. doesn't sound like a consolation round. Where would you have the consolation round? You're not going to put it on center court. You're going to put it 
off somewhere far away, nobody cares. But it's Dafka on Yom Kippur that we go to center court. The Kodesh HaKadoshim. And which round are you going to have first? Which round are you going to finish first? No one in their right mind would put the final of the U.S. Open before the final of the consolation round. The consolation round may start later, but it's not going to be the climax. We build to Yom Kippur. What is going on? It seems that Yom Kippur, the day of Rachamim, is the goal. Rosh Hashanah, the day of Din, is just to get us to Rachamim. But how could that be? Rachamim is required because of our weaknesses, no? Wouldn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu prefer that we didn't make mistakes in the first place? Wouldn't He prefer that we didn't sin at all? Not necessarily. Because we know that everybody sins. We know that everybody sins. We're told in Koheles, Ki Adam ein Sadik Ba'aretz Asher God created us in a rather imperfect way. God doesn't seem like He created us to be Tzadikim Gemurim, did He? Is it just that we turned out? HaKadosh Baruch who thought of creating the world Bedin. He thought of creating a world where we could achieve and we could be found to be completely innocent. And then he realized, oi, nebuch, look at the way these people came out. It, it, it's, not, it's not a fit. It's not going to work. So therefore, he switched it. That doesn't make any sense. He created us. Why did he make us so bound to sin if he didn't want us to sin? Why would he create a situation where a Pusik and Koalis could say that everyone, there's no person who doesn't sin? If the goal is to be at Sadikamar. It seems that he prefers the process of sin and chuva. A process made possible by Rachamim to that of Trudin. And that's where you can get a bizarre statement that says that b'makom shabali tshuva omdin, you've all heard this, that where about tshuva is, tzadikim gemurim ein omdin. A tzadik gomer is not able to be at the place of a bal tshuva. So what, we should all sin so we can become bali tshuva? Bal tshuva here doesn't necessarily mean what we call today a bal tshuva, someone who changed their whole life. Bal tshuva is someone who made a mistake and did tshuva. Kaddish Baruch who prefers that we make mistakes and then we come back to him? What's it talking about? It seems that we get the Tzadik Gomor out of the way on Rosh Hashanah so the true heroes can be celebrated on Yom HaKippurim. And as absurd as that sounds, that's the way we experience Aserah Simei 
And what I'd like to do today is to explain the way we experience the Aserah Simei and Yom Kippur. To try to find what is it? Is there any hashkafic idea behind those tears that we feel at the end of Ne'ilah? Is it just a rush of emotion? Does it actually make sense? I believe it does. I believe that we can explain how a world of rachamim can be preferable to a world of din. To understand this, we have to understand what is din and what is rachamim. We don't understand the Ribona Shalom. We can't describe the Ribona Shalom. We could describe the ways he seems to be relating to us, right? That's what we can describe. He seems to relate to us primarily in three ways. One is called chesed, giving to us. A second is din, where a person receives just exactly what they deserve. And a third is rachamim. What is rachamim? There's a very interesting Gemara. We'll skip to number four for a moment. The, the Gemara says, Ha'omer al-kan sipur yagiu rachamecha. You're going out and you're doing the mitzvah of Shiluah HaKin. You see a bird, you see the eggs. Very strange mitzvah. You're supposed to chase away the mother bird before you take the eggs. Why? Obviously, because we don't want to hurt the poor bird. God cares about the bird. God has rachamim on the bird and he doesn't want us to hurt the bird. The Mishnah says that if someone says that, along with other kinds of things that they say, which seem like perfectly good things to say about God, Mishat Kinoso. We say you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that God has mercy on a bird. Explains the Gemara, my timer. Mipnesha Ose Midosa Shalakarishbarahu Rachamim. The Ainan Elagzerot. Because you call HaKadosh Baruch Hu a merachem, and really it's just a gzeira. What does this mean? The typical way of understanding it is that we shouldn't get too involved in understanding the mitzvot. Don't explain the mitzvot. This is a gzeira. I know you think you know why you're supposed to chase away the mother bird. But it's a gzeira. Don't try to get... But we do try to give a lot of explanations. There are lots and lots of books out there try to explain the mitzvot. And the Gemara doesn't say that you misrepresent the mitzvah. What does the Gemara say? You misrepresent HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's not that you're misrepresenting the mitzvah. It's that you're misrepresenting HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What does that mean? Rav Cook explains in one of his writings that what we call mercy, a passing feeling, that, oh, nebuch, oh, it's so hard, I'm going to feel... That's not HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch Hu's drive to mercy, to rachamim, whatever the word rachamim, is not a passing feeling of mercy on something, it is a gzerah. It is fixed into the world. Rachamim is the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world 24-7 and don't tell me about some bird that you see once in your lifetime. That's not what Rachamim means. So what does Rachamim mean? 
You may not have realized that Rav Hirsch points out in his commentary on Bracious that the root of the word rachamim is plural. What would be the singular of rachamim? A rechem, a uterus, part of a mother. Now, no matter how bad a three-year-old may be, it's very difficult to speak of a mother having pity or mercy on her three-year-old. When the three-year-old decides to take out a marker and draw all over the walls of the house, and the mother doesn't kick the three-year-old out of the house, which she should, by all means, it's not that she had mercy on the child. That's ridiculous. It's because it's her child. The root of the word rachamim is not pity or mer'aynebach. The root of the word rachamim is about a relationship that we have that goes beyond anything you might do. My favorite sefer in the world is a sefer called Da'as Tefillah, which I teach multiple times every week. Rabbi Ehud Rakovsky makes the following observation. Neither chesed nor din imply a relationship. Chesed means I want to give. It's about the notain. I don't care who you are. You don't have to deserve it. You don't have to have done anything to get my plenty. Chesed is, I want to give to you. Din is only about the mikavel. Din means you get what you deserve. It doesn't matter whether I want to give it to you. Rachamim is a combination of the giver and the receiver. Rachamim involves me understanding who you are. It's about who you are. I don't want to give to anybody. I want to give to you. I want to allow you this opportunity. And not only do I want to give you this opportunity, I want to give this thing to you because I care about you in the long term. You see, Rachamim is a combination of chesed and din. Chesed, I understanding that I want you to grow, but din, I understand that if I don't put limitations, if I don't create expectations, it's not going to work. It's not chesed where I give it to you and I say goodbye. It's chesed where I care about you for the rest of your life. That's rachamim. Explains the Ramchal in source number five. How does Rachamim work? It's a very important source. Midat HaRachamim Hi Kiyumo Shalolam The Midah of Rachamim is how the world functions. It's what keeps the world going. Shalohaya Omed Zulata Klal Uklal Without Rachamim we'd be dead. Fa'afal Pikein Ein Midas Hadin Loke Rachamim does not ignore Din. And he'll explain you how in a second. It's an amazing thing that he says. He's responding to source number three where the Gemara says that if you say that God just lets you go, he will let you go. God doesn't forget things. God doesn't, ah, nah, you know what? It's okay. Try again next year. That's not what happens. Miyad. Take a 
according to the letter of the law, we should be punished immediately. Every sin we do, we do in the clear view of the king who is giving us the ability to do that Avera as we're doing it. We're marionettes. He's literally giving me the ability to move my arms and I am doing that right in front of his face against something that he told me to do. I should be punished immediately. It should be a powerful sin. It's not some violation when nobody's looking. You're standing in front of the king. And then, And there should be no way to make it up. That's din. Din is that a lightning bolt comes out when I sin. What is rachamim? Explains the Ramchal. What happens on Yom Kippur is not what we think. We simply don't have these three reactions. There has to be some accountability. There has to be some din in Rachamim. Chesed is where there's no accountability. God doesn't offer us Chesed on Yom Kippur. He offers us Rachamim. What does that mean? Tahainu shiyutan zman lachotei velo yibacher velo yikached mina aretz miyad kishachata. First thing is you get time. And when you get a punishment, and you have to get some sort of punishment, you have to pay, but it won't destroy you all together. But tshuva, well, that's chesed. That's chesed. There are elements of din and elements of chesed. You don't get away with it. You get another chance. You get more time to correct yourself. God could have made this whole world basically a one time and out. He did that for Adam Harishon and Chava, no? He created a world where there was one shot. One free throw was the entire game. That's not the way he creates us. He invests in us. He wants us to succeed over time. Yes, he wants us to try to completely forgive all of us, everything, every Yom Kippur, but he also understands there's going to be another Yom Kippur, there's another Yom Kippur. And as Dr. Brown spoke about, that we'd be better next year than we are this year. He created a game that lasts 70, 80 plus years in most cases where that's appropriate. Because he understands that the goal is to invest in us and the goal is for us to get it right eventually the later years of our life are not years where we should be slacking off the later years of our life are times when we should finally be getting it right but the fact that we're forgiven well that's a chesed gamor the fact that we could take something 
We could make it go away. We, we still have to do better in the future and we still have to get some sort of punishment. He'll, he'll, he'll meet out the punishment slowly so that we could take it. But there's still a chesed gamur that we could take something we did in the past and we can get rid of it. How does that work? I think there's something more. You see, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a rechem in the sense that a uterus allows something that cannot survive by itself to have a future. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a rechem because he takes something that in and of itself wouldn't be able to make it moment to moment and he nurtures it and he allows it to eventually stand on its two feet just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu does when we sin the rachamim that he gives us is exactly that he doesn't make everything perfect he doesn't make everything go away he gives us a tomorrow the word rechem is the same letters as machar tomorrow he allows for a tomorrow he allows us to have another year But the connection between a mother and her baby is not simply someone who's investing in someone else and allowing it to have a tomorrow. The Pasuk says in one of the famous Haftorahs, source number six, Fatomer Tzion Azavani Hashem Vashem Shechichani. We say to God, You've forgotten me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Hatishkach Isha Ula. Merachem ben bidna can a, the word forget is the opposite of rechem. Rechem is not an investment. Rechem is a permanent relationship. Gam It's something much deeper. A mother's love for their child goes well beyond hoping that the child will turn out okay even if the child never turns out okay the mother's still going to love that child I heard a story over Shabbos of someone who came into the Belz Medrash with a very makbid on who gets the Ahmad Belz Rebbe was there and this person whose mother was from and he unfortunately had chosen a different path wanted to daven for his mother's yard site so he came in needless to say not dressing like the rest of the Hasidim he said, I want the Amr of the Yorzeit for my mother. And they were jostling. They didn't want to give him the Amr. They brought him over to the Rebbe. And as he's talking to the Rebbe, somebody actually screams out and they said, Look at you. Do you think that your mother wants you davening for the Amr? And he said, What mother doesn't want her son davening from the Amr? In Aramaic, the word Rachame means love. It's not just an investment. It's a relationship. It doesn't just allow us to achieve our potential. He gives us a second chance, not just because he's Avinu Malkeinu, but because he's Imenu Malkoseinu. There's more than Din. There's love. There's a connection. On some level, we can do no wrong in his eyes. This sounds too good to be true. 
So that's what Yom Kippur is. It's not a consolation round. It's a reunion. It's Mother's Day. (laughs) Everything's wonderful on Mother's Day. If you remember to send flowers. (laughs) What is our responsibility here? If we understand it just according to the first way we understood it, like the Ramchal, that all HaKadosh Baruch was really doing is giving us a second chance, He's allowing us a tomorrow, then our responsibility is to seize on that on Thursday morning, like Dr. Brown said, and to get to it. To realize we've been given a second chance. To realize that all we've been is renewed. Our contract was renewed. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, yes, I think it's worth hiring you again. When we live another year, he's basically saying, I am hiring you for another season. I think that what you were hired to do, you can do. But if we understand that Rachamim goes even beyond that, that at the end of the day, there's an incredible chesed that can only come from a mother. What do we have to do? We have to make ourselves open to that relationship. Listen very close to what I'm saying. It's true of our own mothers. We need to call. We need to write. But the reality is that with our own human mothers, if we don't call or write, they'll still love us. But that's because we were in the Rechem. The reason why we can do no wrong when it comes to our mother and the reason why a mother is different than a father is because there was a time period that we were inside the uterus. That she took care of us, that she cared for us, that we were completely vulnerable, that we needed her for everything. The Mechdam Eliyahu explains the famous word they say it at Sheva Brachos, but it's even more true about pregnancy. That Ahava Rachamim comes from the word Hav, which means to give. The reason why, even if we forget to send the flowers, she's still going to love us, is because we were inside the Rechem, because she took care of us at a time where we needed her for everything. We were completely dependent upon her. If we want HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be our mother, then we have to create and recreate that relationship on a regular basis. HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks us not to emerge from the womb, but so to speak, to re-enter that space of vulnerability to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to allow ourselves to need Him for everything, to allow ourselves to make Him our mother. And once we do that, we reap the benefits of that relationship. But it's so difficult. It's so difficult to rely on Him. It's so difficult to feel surrounded by Him. My wife told me that she heard from Rebetzin Esther Wien that when trying to describe what it's like to understand God, the easiest thing to think about is a baby in the womb, where you're completely surrounded by something that's taking care of you, but you don't see it, you don't understand it at all. 
how do we re-enter the womb of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, listen closely, gave us two gifts, two ways, two avenues to create the relationship with Him so that He could shower us with what He wants to be our parent. Tefillah and Shuvah. Tefillah we may be able to understand, so we're going to use that as the starting point. I hope you'll stay with me. And then we'll go to Tshuva, which you may never have understood this understanding of what Tshuva is and why Tshuva allows us to connect HaKadosh Baruch. Let's review. We've said that Rachamim, what happens on Yom Kippur, seems to be the goal, not a means to another end. It seems to be the goal to get to Rachamim. It sounds like Din isn't what we want. And we said that Rachamim has something that Din does not. Rachamim has a relationship. And maybe it's that relationship with the Kaddish Baruch who wants more than anything. And what was Zoha to on Yom Kippur is to reestablish a parental relationship with the Ribona Shalom, but we need to work for that. We not only need to work after Yom Kippur to make the investment worth it, but we need to work in leading up to and on Yom Kippur to create that relationship. Let's take a step back with me for a minute. We'll talk about tefillah, which you know I can never talk about anything without talking about tefillah. And then we'll get to tshuva. One of my rabbeim, Rav Ezra Bick from the Gush, wrote a fascinating commentary to the, to the Shemona Esrei. And he asks, what the purpose is of the bracha that you have at the bottom of the first side? The last bracha that we say in the requests of Shmona Esrei, after we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for everything that we wanted, is we ask again. But now we ask, Birachamim. Ay, another consolation round. What, what does that mean? Don't send us away with nothing. What is this? We just asked them for everything we need. We asked them for everything we need as individuals, everything we need for our spirituality, for our material worth, we, everything we need as a nation. And then we come to them and we say, Pretty please. <laughs> Have Rachamim on us. If you didn't give it to us based on judgment, give it to us at least with Rachamim. Is that what Shkolenu is? It makes the rest of Shmonesri absurd. Do we think he wasn't listening before? Rav Bick suggests something fascinating. That this final bracha, listen closely, is another request of Hashem for something that we need, something that we haven't asked for until now. That the purpose of Shema Koleinu is to ask God for something that we desperately want. Not any of the twelve things we asked for before. Do you know what we want? To be heard. 
Isn't it absurd that after asking for everything, including Mashiach, basically we ask for the base Hamikdash, the whole thing we say, and by the way, don't give us nothing. Rekam al tishivenu. Where it all that? That's what. That's what we're saying. Just give me something. Why do we ask for something in the last bracha? Because the last bracha is not asking for any of the 12 things that we asked for before. It's not asking for anything except to feel that God heard me. And the reason why I ask Him for something is not because I need or want that thing, but because if He gives me something, I'll feel like I connected with Him. I'll feel like He's out there. The purpose of Shema Koleinu is Kabel. Except, let me feel, I want to have a relationship with you. That's the most important thing. And after I've said all of these other brachos, I finally realize that. Because the ultimate purpose of all of the things that I ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu for, when I ask Him for health and wealth, and I ask Him to take us out of this exile, is to recognize that I need Him for all of those things. What I do when I go through the process of asking for these things is I recreate that dependence. The Mabit says in his Beit HaLokim that the purpose of Shemona Esrei isn't to get the things, but it's to remember that I need him for it. Otherwise, how dare I say it again and again and again. You ever realize how ridiculous it is when the Shul Davin's Mincha Mayrev? You say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, bring Mashiach, bring, it's been 2,000 years, bring Mashiach. Vahurachom. And then you say again, bring Mashiach, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm working on it. It's been 2,000 years. You gave me five minutes to bring Mashiach? That's absurd. The purpose says the Mabit of Tefillah isn't to get the things, but to remind ourselves how vulnerable, we are, how vulnerable we are and to use that vulnerability and need to connect to Hashem. So at the end of the 12 things that we need, we say, you know what we really need? What we're starting to feel. That you're listening to us. Because there's nothing a human being ultimately wants more and there's nothing greater that we'll get in Olam Haba than a sense that we matter to God and that we have a relationship with Him. And that's the height and the end of Shmona Esrei. That's exactly what an astonishing Medrash says in Shmos Rabbah, which I'll do outside. Medrash Rabbah will just go to a couple of lines by Yitzhaku Yisrael. The Jewish people are up against Yamsuf and they're crying out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu couldn't work it out that the Egyptians were a little slower? Why did he have to scare the heck out of his people? If he's going to split the, split the sea, so split it already. Why does he have to wait until they're totally panicked? And then he splits the sea. And the Medrash gives an amazing mushal of a king. But there's a princess. Every Medrash is a prince and a princess. There's a princess. She's screaming. She's being attacked by bandits. Oh no! Someone, can somebody help me? And he marches in and he saves her. And he's so taken by her that he would love to marry her. That's also the way these stories always go. And she won't answer his calls. She won't answer his calls. So what does he do? 
he hires the same group of bandits to go take her again. And then she cries out and goes, Aha! That's what I was looking for. Said the Jewish people were crying out to the Kodesh Baruch Hu in, in Mitzrayim and he loved that. He loved that. They were crying out to him. They were connecting to him. And then they got taken out of Egypt and they stopped. He said, Hashmini at Koleich. I want to hear you. I want to connect with you. So he brought Paro back. What is this amazing Medrash tell us? Something that you've heard before, but you're not going to think of it in the way we're going to talk about it in two seconds. That the purpose of tefillah is not to get our needs, but the purpose of our needs is to get to tefillah. After we've spelled out all of our needs, then we say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know what I really want? To have to talk to you. And you know what? I really want to feel like I can connect with you. That's what Shmakoleinu talks about Rachamim. Rachamim is not something that we use as a means to an end. Rabbik points out, fascinating. What's the most powerful thing we sometimes say in the middle of Shmakoleinu? Aneinu Hashem, Aneinu Biyom Tzom Taniseinu. That's the, 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 the most heartfelt cry we give to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Shemona Esrei. It never says the word Rachem once. Rachem is not a means to an end. It's not something we call upon to be saved. Rachem is something we call upon because we want a relationship with God. On our side, he says, it's called Tefillah. And on his side, it's called Rachamim. That's why we immediately go into a section of the Shemona Esrei. Have you ever thought about this? That thanks God. Why do we thank God at the end of Shemona Esrei? What do we think he's necessarily saying? Yes. Are we thanking him for his time? Thank you so much for your kind consideration for my proposal. Rav Yitzchak Kutner explains that the word modim does not mean to thank God. In fact, there is no word in Hebrew, no commentary, it's a service for thank you. The word todah doesn't mean thank you. It means admit Modeh b'miktzat. What is that? How would you confuse that with thank you? Because that's what thank you is. Do you know why it's so hard for us to say thank you? Because we can't admit that I didn't deserve it in the first place. I can't admit that you did something to help me. You did it because it was a privilege for you to help me. What am I? I, don't, I owe you something. I admit that I needed help. I admit that I needed you. Do you know what happens at the end of Shemona Esrei? We don't say thank you to Hashem. We bow, says the Maharal, at the waist. And we say, I have nothing. I'm completely dependent upon you. I'm back in the womb. Todah. I admit that's the whole purpose of tefillah. To make ourselves vulnerable. To connect with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You've heard all of that stuff before. 
But there's another word that sounds very much like todah and modim. Vidui. Could it be that the reason why we do vidui is the same reason why we pray? Could it be that the reason why we sin is to have to crawl back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Could it be that the reason that He created us so sinful, that He made us so imperfect, was so that we would make mistakes and have to come before Him and expose ourselves? Could it be that the reason why we need Yom Kippur is because we need a day where we feel like our life is in His hands so that we can come back into the womb? The Maral says in the Sivas Olam, the Iker of Tshuva is to admit Hodah leads to Vidu, leads to Tshuva, to acceptance of Tshuva. Why? Because because at that moment of desperation, when I reveal, when I tell him things that I wouldn't want to tell anybody, when I make myself vulnerable before God, I am Moser et Atzmi. I give myself back to God. And this is so remarkable because the Maharal earlier, in the Sivos Olam, these are paths he has in the Siv for everything, in the Siv Anava. He has a Nesiv of Tshuva and he starts at the beginning after Nesiv HaTorah with Nesiv HaAvoda and he explains how Tefillah works and he uses exactly the same language that Tefillah works because we stand vulnerably in front of Hashem. It's no accident that we stand for Shemana Esrei and we stand for Vidui because we're doing exactly the same thing. Suddenly, everything is pulled away from us. Suddenly, we realize we can't stand bedin. That we can't demand anything. That we can't do anything on our own. That we haven't succeeded. And that's exactly what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. Because it's the truth. And we fall, we run back into His arms. And that's how tshuva works. It's the fear, it's the panic. It's exactly what we feel on Yom Kippur. It's that feeling as we say, Tfilazaka, that maybe it won't work out well this year. It's that nervousness that we have as we approach Yom Kippur. It's the crying that we do. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't just forgive us. He resumes His role as our mother. Because we're completely dependent upon Him. We feel like we're completely surrounded by Him. One of the explanations of the reason why we say Kol Nidre to start Yom Kippur. What a bizarre way to start Yom Kippur. Rabbi Soloveitchik explained 
that when you have kol nidre is about nidarim and to get rid of nidarim you need a Bezdin. And the Pasuk tells us that whenever there's a Bezdin, HaGadosh Baruch Hu comes into the room. So in order to convince him, to trick him, to come into the base Medrash, to come into the Shul, we start with Kalnidra and we say, Aha, you're here. It's not that he's here, it's that we're in him again. He surrounds us. We're vulnerable again. And that's how Tshuva works. It's only through the vulnerability created by our own mistakes that we can reconnect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's only through that process that we can accomplish what God always wanted. Not to be our king, but to be our parent. Shuva Yisrael, Ad Hashem Elokecha, Ki Chashalta Ba'avonecha. Return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ad Hashem Elokecha, the Gemara says, what does it mean to come all the way back to Hashem? That you can get to the Kisei HaKavod. How can you get to the Kisei HaKavod? Ki Chashalta Ba'avonecha, because we made a mistake. Perfect people can't stand at the Kisei HaKavod. Perfect people stand in the audience with everybody else and they relate to God as a king. The only person that could sit next to him up in front is his son. And only once we sin are we drawn to come back and beg at his feet and become his children again. This is the goal not a means. But Makom Shabali Tshuva Omdin, they're the ones that are close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking for. Look at the final source for a moment. We'll skip, we'll get back. So I have one more thing I need to point out to you. But the Pasuk says in Yeshayahu, Shimu Rechokim Asher Asisi Udu'u Krovim Gevurasi. The Pasuk speaks about people who are close to God and people who are far from God. Rechokim, who are far? Hama'aminim bi, the people who believe in me, the osim ritzoni minu'reyem, the FFBs, are far away. Because they've always been doing the right thing. And they never had to crawl to be close to God. Krovim bali tshuva shiniskarvu mechadash. Rashi doesn't say, if you go back to the first Rashi, that Midas Arachamim was a consolation realm. If you look closely at Rashi's term, Hikdim Midas Rachamim, Vishitva Lamidas Adin. The goal is the connection. Kashbarah wants there to be rules, and there have to be rules. Think of a marriage. There are responsibilities. There's a contract. There's a kedushin. There's a ksuba. We don't get married to fill out a ksuba. HaKadosh Baruch Hu requires that there be rules. There has to be some parameters to this relationship. But the purpose of the relationship is not the parameters. The purpose is to have an excuse to connect back to God.
but God doesn't have a rechem, does he? Maybe he does. And it's not me who is saying that. It's Rabbi Akiva. Amar Rabbi Akiva, Shrechem Yisrael, Lifnei Miatem Mitarin, Mi Mitar Eschem. He says to the Jewish people, you think you're lost? You think you're too far gone? You think there's no way to achieve Kapara with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Avichem Shavashamayim. The Omer Mikve Yisrael Hashem. Ma Mikve Mitaras Atmeim Afakadosh Baruch Hu Mitaras Yisrael. God is a mikvah, and a mikvah is a womb. Every year when I go before Yom Kippur into the mikvah, in order to dunk in the mikvah, one has to pretty much go back into a fetal position, don't they? And suddenly we're surrounded by water all again. And the Svarim write about how when you go into mikvah and you come out, you're reborn. You'll emerge from the womb. And some, like the Sefer HaChinuch says, it's not just your earthly mother, it's that the world always used to be water. And the whole world was water at one point, at the beginning of Bracious. We go back to the beginning of time, creation happens again. But I think it's something more. When we go into that mikvah, and we go into the mikvah literally, by the way, there are some who say that there's a bracha on the mikvah. We don't ask in this way. That the, that the tevila on Erev Yom Kippur has a bracha of Sajikon says. But even though we don't pass in that way, and even though we may not go to mikvah on Erev Yom Kippur, Rabbi Akiva is not talking about literally going into mikvah, he's talking about the tahara process of tshuva. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a mikvah. But we have to take off our clothes. We have to take off all the things that we're counting on. We have to take off all of the things we depend on. There can't be any blockage. There can't be anything between us and the mikvah. If we're willing to do that with tefillah or tshuva, then we can re-enter the womb of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And then how can we not be forgiven? That's the image of a Kaddish Baruch Hu as the mikvah. We have to go to a place where in the mikvah, as the Shemi Shul explains in source number 12, we can't breathe. We can't possibly take care of ourselves. We have to almost die when we go in the mikvah because we have to recognize that we are nothing. And we don't have to literally go in the mikvah for this. Rabbi Akiva is not talking about a minute to go into the mikvah. He's talking about tshuva and the vulnerability that Yom Kippur allows us to feel. Yom Kippur is even more powerful, and tshuva is more powerful than tefillah. He says, I hear you're a big balagoda. What does it mean that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sometimes blocks tefillah? It's actually tefillah that's a mikvah. The nimshala tshuva, tshuva is like going in the ocean. Ma mikvah zu pa'amayim, pa'amim, sorry, p'sucha pa'amim na'ula. Sometimes the mikvah is open, sometimes it's not open. 
Sometimes our tefillahs work and occasionally our tefillahs don't work. Kadesh is always welcome. He always wants our tshuva. And finally, if in fact the goal of tshuva is to get to that closeness of HaKadosh Baruch if the goal of tshuva, if the goal of sin, if the reason why we're here, it's not a consolation round. If the goal of everything is rachamim, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us not to be perfect, but to be His children, then it could very well be that it's not a chesed at all that He does for us when He forgives our sins. Because we do hey Him with a very different type of currency. I heard a story which I told over in a few places this year, so powerful. A nine-year-old girl walks into a jewelry store in Eretz Yisrael. She starts looking around at the case. Guy says, can I help you? He says, yeah, I'm looking for a, a bracelet. He says, okay, any of these strike your eye? And she points to a bracelet, 10,000 shekel. Little nine-year-old kid. He said, uh, okay, it's very nice. Um, who's it for? He says, uh, my sister. Says, wow, that's a very nice gift for your sister. She pulls out of her pocket. She says, I'm absolutely willing to pay for it. And she pulls out of her pocket. She reaches into her left pocket and she takes out eight check. She reaches into her right pocket. She puts down 80 agurot. And he says, that's interesting. Why do you want this so badly for your sister? He says, well, you know, my mother and father passed away a few years ago. And my sister takes care of us. And I wanted to get her something special to let us know, to let her know how much we feel about her. He sees the eight shekel and eighty agarot and he says, that's amazing, that's exactly the price. Take the bracelet. A few hours later, the sister comes back in mortified. The older sister comes in mortified. She goes, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know how she got it out of the case. My sister stole this bracelet. I don't have to tell you. She goes, no, she didn't pay. She didn't steal it. He goes, how'd she walk out with it? She goes, she paid for it in full. He goes, what are you talking about? He said, you know, a couple of years ago, I lost my wife. And she said, I see men come in here all day long and they take out wads of money and they buy jewelry for their wives. But it's hard sometimes to tell whether there's really any love there. When your sister came in, I felt something that I hadn't felt in a very long time. And he said, she paid for 10,000 shekel bracelet with 880 and a tremendous amount of love. And this is what we do when we come to HaKadosh Baruch at this time of year. We come from, we come, we're going to say on Yom Kippur, we want everything, 
everything. Everybody we know are a Fuashlema. We want the, all the anti-Semitism to go away. We want Mashiach to come. We want to have a tremendous everything. We point to the most expensive bracelet in the whole store. And we say, that's the one we want. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, okay, you're going to pay for it. And we take out a few mitzvot out of our left pocket. And a few promises out of our right pocket. Maybe even a whole plan out of our right pocket. And we plop it down. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what, you're paid in full. You can't pay a king with love but you can't pay a parent with money. You can only pay a king with cash, but it's absurd to give cash to a parent. Maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want us to be perfect after all. Maybe he wants us to just pay for everything that we want with our tears, with our love, with our desire to be back with him. Rachamim is the goal. A personal relationship with God, bridging an impossible chasm. That's what created us. On Rosh Hashanah, we declare that God matters to us. And on Yom Kippur, we say, God matters to me. And I matter to Him. Those are the tears of joy that we feel at the end of Ne'ilah. That's the chasm that's bridged as Yom Kippur ends. And that's why Yom Kippur will never go away. Because at the end of time, everyone will know there's only one God. We won't need a Rosh Hashanah to declare that He's the King. And we won't need a Pesach and a Shavuos and a Sukkot to declare that he's in charge of history. He'll have concluded history. We'll know that. But you could do everything right. And you could have perfect Tashkafas. And you could know all the truth. But not have a connection with him. That's what Yom Kippur is for. And that's why we are all nervously so excited about the miracle of the bridge that's going to be created this year starting on Tuesday night.